In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. Here on Notably Disney, it's always a treat when I have the opportunity to speak with a composer who has made a mark on the Walt Disney Company in some capacity. And today I'm talking with someone who has contributed to several branches of the company. Pinar Toprak is the composer behind Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel, Pixar Spark Shorts' Pearl, Walt Disney Animation Studios' Us again, and soon enough we'll hear her work for Epcot as part of its re-envisioning. On this episode of the podcast, we focus on Pinar's musical trajectory, contributions to Captain Marvel and Us Again, and get a peek of what's next, as the titular character of the superhero flick lives by the notion of higher, further, faster. Pinar, too, is a trailblazer and taking her work to new heights. Composer Pinar Toprak has brought one of the mightiest Marvel heroes to electrifying light with her score for 2019's $1 billion hit Captain Marvel, and last year illuminated a rainstorm with dazzling soulfulness and jazz with composing the vibrant Disney animated short Us Again. Uh, She's truly a versatile composer who is making her mark on Hollywood and beyond, and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Notably Disney podcast, Pinar. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I would love for us to begin with uh, kind of an origin story of sorts, maybe not uh, a Marvel superhero, but rather your own as a, as a musician. Uh, I understand that your musical roots began with playing stringed instruments like the violin and then the guitar. Could you talk about how your experiences early on um, playing in your spare time and also as part of Uh, being within a music conservatory contributed to your passions and ultimately your career? 
Yes. Um, so I started the conservatory in Istanbul when I was uh, about five, six years old playing the violin. My dad used to be a violinist and uh, that's kind of how I um, dove into to music. Um, and my passion for, for films also started very, very early on. I was fascinated by the power of power of music um, in films. I didn't even quite understand it when I was younger. I was just fascinated. Um, and uh, as, as years went on, that passion grew. And I realized that uh, there are people that actually do this for a living. And um, then that level of that, that fascination kind of became a goal, so to speak. Um, and I was playing I was always really I was never a great performer, but I loved um, experiencing different kinds of instruments and just understanding um, the general structure of how, how all of these instruments work and how they work together in orchestra. And um, I got fascinated by orchestration and different colors and the possibilities. And that was just kind of mind blowing. And uh, over the years, I mean, these days, um, I, uh, I would say I play mostly piano and sometimes classical guitar, but not as much as I used to. Um, but growing up, definitely playing those instruments and being surrounded by um, all my friends that played all different kinds of instruments, um, that, that definitely helped in my musical vocabulary and growth and understanding of um, just general structure of how everything worked. And then uh, I moved here to the US when I was about 17 years old. Uh, with a with a mission in in mind, so to speak. For um, my initially, actually, I have to be honest. I was told that I could probably not write music for films because there weren't many examples of people like me doing <laughs> doing that, should we say? So uh, I was a piano performance major at Berklee College of Music, and uh, quickly after, I I realized that's that I'm never going to be as good as those amazing performance performers at Berkeley. And my passion was really all about writing and storytelling and, and films. Um, so I switched over to a film scoring major and then kind of never, never looked back since. And uh, I've been living in Los Angeles now since year 2000. So it's been quite a bit now. And, um, and I've been very fortunate to, to, to build a career kind of, gone through all, all kinds of phases from assisting to programming and um, all the evolutions that a young composer goes through at that point. And uh, now several projects later, um, here we are. It's been a, a really fascinating story to follow hearing other interviews with you and, and reading articles about your career. And I understand that uh, when you were a child that you loved film scores and that you would actually record them um, on cassettes, not realizing that uh, that you could actually buy a soundtrack. So what was it like for you when you actually had access to listening to scores again and again? Oh, you did your research. I like that. Um, yeah, that was, um, I mean, that was like a huge revelation. My mind just, <laughs> I, it was so so innocent and sweet. I genuinely didn't think you could just buy the music of the film. So I would um, in the morning in the newspaper, I will look up and see which film is playing when, 
because obviously we, you know, this is before the the digital age of watching whenever you want, whenever you want. So I say, okay, oh, there's that film that, that I really liked and it's going to play at, you know, 6 PM tonight. So I'd have my Walkman ready and go over to the TV. And I, I, I did this with, with Superman and so many others. I would just go and record the music. And I would say, I wish there was a version without all the talking that I could just listen to. <laughs> Um, yeah, my world changed when I found out about soundtracks. <laughs> and I know the Prince of Egypt had a major influence on you. Were there others that really resonated with you in terms of just appreciating the score? There were so many over. Uh, Prince of Egypt was definitely, um, should we say, a, a last drop uh, in an already full cup. And the cup was filled with so many other scores over time. And uh uh, Superman was a big one and I watched a lot of my dad was a huge uh, Western fan so watched a lot of Westerns I was familiar with Ennio Morricone's music quite early on John Barry's music um, and um, Cinema Paradiso was a monumental one for me in terms of I mean to this day it's one of my most favorite scores of all time and uh, and then there are different different films different times of my life uh, when Independence Day came out, for example, that was a big thing because the scale of it was so huge and it kind of represented Hollywood, you know, in a way for me that um, the kind of films that back then you know, I wasn't seeing coming out of Turkey, for example, you know, uh, it was it just represented like all these dreams and possibilities and the scope was 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 huge and um and there is just a lot of John Williams score, E.T. I mean, it's 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 incredible. I in Indiana Jones, a lot of John Williams scores that when I listen to this date, I'm just I mean, that's that's uh, that's that's kind of his, his legacy. You listen to these themes and they're they're incredible. They take us back to when we first heard them, yet they're timeless and um, just so powerful. So I was always fascinated by that musical language and what makes piece of music or a certain theme powerful and touch us. And that to this date still um, fascinates me because the way music touches our hearts is very, it's very different and very special. Absolutely. Now you touched on a lot of great scores and, and you touched on this earlier um, in terms of just representation in the world of composing and film composing. And could you talk about what it, what it meant for you to enter this space? You talked about uh, switching to film scoring during your time at the Berklee College of Music, but as a, as a Turkish American woman, um, what it's like to, to enter a space that's largely dominated by white men. Um, would you be able to speak to that? Um, sure. I mean, it, it's uh, it's interesting. So obviously, I only had an experience in this world as a as a Turkish woman that then became American. Seventeen years later, actually, it took me seventeen years to become a citizen here. Um, so I, I had not experienced. The, I didn't know any other alternative. That that was my reality, and I only knew, even at a really young age, I knew that I only had control over the things that I had control over, uh, meaning my craft my attitude, my work ethic. Um, and beyond that, the results I didn't really, I couldn't really control. But I also knew, I was honest with myself. I knew that if I went on a different route, for example, when I started Berkeley, like I said, I was a piano performance major. If I went that route, I knew I wasn't going to be happy. And I didn't want a life where 
I do something because I think I'm, you know, supposed to do that rather than this other thing that I love. Um, kind of satisfy the, the society's expectations of who I, what I should have been doing with my life. So I chose that honest approach, regardless of what the result was going to be. I was going to do this. Um, and I think um, for, for anyone doing anything with our lives, you know, if, if you do something with passion and if, if it comes from the right place, um, the, the universe kind of helps you connect the rest of the dots. I just, I, I chose that. And in terms of um, anything else, I just, I just kind of put my horse blinders on, so to speak, and kind of went on my own path because like I said, I could only, I was only responsible for my own output. The rest was not really in my control. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and it's become very clear in, in learning more about your career that you're really able to carve out your, your own path and starting to have opportunities to film for, to score for different projects. And um, in many ways, uh, your, your name has become synonymous with uh, Captain Marvel and the music of that because of its uh, notability in, in the film landscape um, for being a $1 billion picture and certainly a, a great film as well. I was really intrigued to learn about your audition process that you actually uh, developed a seven, you assembled a 70 piece orchestra and drew on your own funds for that effort. Would you be able to talk about how you became involved in Captain Marvel? Sure. Um, I had, uh, I mean, there's kind of a longer story uh, before it, but um, my agents kind of knew how much I uh, was interested in, in this film. And uh, so I kind of put the seed out there quite early on that, that I would be very interested. And then when, it, when the time came that they were looking for, they were looking at several composers, um, I Kind of, I was very happy that my name was um, put in the hat, and at that point, I knew, I knew that this was a huge film, and I didn't necessarily have the the, the gigantic credits <laughs> at that point. So um, it needed to be different, and it needed to show them not only what I could do because there are a lot of people that are very good at what they do. Um, so if it's not necessarily just the ability and the craftsmanship, then what could I show them? that that would be maybe slightly different. And um, and I wanted to show them how badly I wanted it and that, that I was very passionate about it. So, and the way I see it is also is it's, it's ultimately, you know, if we were to have any kind of business, open up any kind of business, you know, even if you're open, opening up a bakery or something like that, there's, there's first an investment before, you know, before any, any uh, profits made, right? And I saw this as an investment in, in myself, so to speak. So I, uh, I, I basically had this idea, well, if I want to show them that I can handle the orchestra and, and handle these other approaches, um, that I should show them that I can. Um, because I wasn't even going to have an in-person meeting at that point. I did speak um, with one of the directors. Actually, it was just before we recorded, so I had already done. The, I had already written the demo at that point. But um, so I just kind of I went with my gut and wrote this um, wrote these demos based on some of the material that they have asked me, and I decided to uh, kind of do this like. Um, 
like an EPK package, you know, I, I hired um, some video uh, video crew to come and record. Of, of course, nobody knew what we were doing. The tracks were called Demo 1, Demo 2. They had no idea. What <laughs> um, and I just wanted to show them that I can conduct. And, you know, I, and then I even did a video uh, in my studio where I talked to the camera, almost like a casting you know, video uh, because I wanted to, them to get a sense of just who I am as a person and how I view um, Carol Danvers' character and the, the, the story in general. And um, and to be honest, again, once I did that, it was one of a, like a let go, let God situation because, again, I could only control my output. I could only, I was only responsible for what I could do. And I did that to the best of my ability at the time. Um, and beyond that, I I didn't have any expectations. I was hoping that, well, even if I don't get the film, hopefully they will remember my name or the next thing. And that was really, uh, I was thinking that would be the case, actually. <laughs> I didn't actually think I would end up getting the film. But um, so it was a really lovely, uh, lovely, beautiful surprise when I got the call. But that that's how that uh, came together. Well, I think your your story illustrates the notion of tenacity and and as you said, you can only control what you can control, and and it, it paid off in dividends for for you. It's a, um, I think it's just a really important story for for anyone to relay about you know putting your heart and soul into something, and and sometimes it can really work out. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Now I understand that you wanted to very saliently incorporate electronic music in the score to. Ref- but the film's more ethereal vibes, and certainly there's um, there's that in spades. Could you talk about how that in that influenced the choices that you made in kind of setting the film's tone? Yes, I mean, quite early on, I really felt like this should be a hybrid score, and um, well, because. Captain Marvel is a hybrid, <laughs> so I thought it's it's only natural that we have the human element. So we have moments where it's just solo voice and very ethereal and um, even minimalist at part. And then there are parts that are just a lot, obviously, more more bombastic. And there are parts that are really heavy in analog sense. And you know, um, and we try to also differentiate that sonically what we did on Earth versus Hala and. Um, that that was that helped us just in terms of the general energy and that sonic differentiation of okay this is where we are now this is where we are now, um, and it was it was really a lot of lot of fun to to get to play with those different textures and the the possibilities are endless the moment that we open up um, that hybrid approach. Well, it's definitely fitting and. The theme for Captain Marvel is instantly recognizable uh, with that minor seventh opening. Is, is there any symbolism associated with this this kind of the sound that you chose for her theme? I thought about the theme a lot, <laughs> I have to say. And um, at first, unsuccessfully, because it took me... Um, Usually I'm, I'm pretty fast at, at, at themes. And I think with Captain Marvel, I knew the importance and, and, and hopefully that it would, um, it, it would be recognizable and it would do, would do it justice. And um, after you know, a couple of days of having minor panic attacks in the studio and realizing, okay, I can't come up with a theme that's, that's different. And um, I just, I went out for a walk and started humming 
themes because I think to this date, I think a good theme needs to be hummable, singable, something that we can actually latch on to. And I kept playing with these different openings. And I, I also knew that there are a lot of times we don't really, in the course of a film, we don't have just enough time to explore the entirety of a theme, um, just duration, simple duration wise. So in the short in those short moments where I need to give a hint of the theme. So it needs to be recognizable enough, um, but, you know, that it can continue on and have this whole other B section and everything else. But uh, so I was just kind of playing around with different, uh, different intervals. And of course, I mean, kind of the on the nose thing, the higher, further, faster uh, thing. So I was thinking of something that actually kind of jumps high. And, um, and I started, I basically hummed this theme and, uh, and I recorded on my voice memo, which I still do have, by the way, um, and then came to the studio and the, the arrangement, but that, that became, um, that became the theme ultimately. Well, it worked. So <laughs> I, the, end, the end product is is good because you're right. You when especially with such a signature blockbuster, if you have a good theme that can sometimes transcend the film itself. Um, and so I, I I'm I'm glad with uh, that. It, they ultimately uh, saw value in that. Thank you. Thank you. And Pinar, you've also entered the world of shorts. Um, and one of them is Us Again, which debuted uh, last year. It really reinforces Disney Animation's resurgence um, on the front, on the shorts front. Um, it's joyful and energetic. I absolutely loved it. I've watched it numerous times. And one of the really core elements to it, in, in my opinion, and I would imagine many others too, is the kinetic jazz-inspired score, which really contributes to its blissfulness. It complements the choreography and the what's really a moving story about an older couple taking advantage of a rainstorm to restore their youth. Um, I understand you had to be very inventive with your recording because um, this took place around the onset of the pandemic um, and where folks couldn't always record in the same spaces. So I'm wondering what your process was in, in that light. Yes. I mean, the whole process of the film was so extraordinary from the start we started way before the pandemic it was uh i think the whole thing took a bit over a year maybe a year and a half um so it was for a short film it's relatively a long time to be involved in a film like that and i was so fortunate to be involved right at the start when everything was sort of in concept phase um so everything grew so organically together with the music and uh, the animation and the dance and everything uh, such a rewarding, probably one of the most rewarding um, experiences, honestly, it was, it was really wonderful. So even though we were very close to recording right before the pandemic, and we were just waiting for some final touches, I believe, uh, if, if my memory serves me well, and then the pandemic happened, so we couldn't record, and it was kind of put on hold. And long story short, I believe our score was the first one because it's, it's quite uh, it's quite large. The the ensemble we have we had a decent sized orchestra plus a big band, and we had to be creative about how we were going to do that. And uh, we recorded. Uh, I think it was one of one of the first sessions that uh, we did at Fox, um, I believe. And um, I'm trying to remember. 
my memory. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think it was it was that one where we did everything. I mean, we've been kind of we've been forced to do that that way since the pandemic. Now everything is separate. Uh, we do the strings and, and brass and percussion and everything else kind of separately these days. Um, but there's advantages to that as well. So we always we're kind of resilient. Us musicians, artists, we always figure out a way to make it work. So um, I was really, really, really satisfied with everything that we have we've done with that score and the film came together so beautifully. It's so heartfelt. Um, yeah. And there's so many details in it. They've just done a marvelous job. I'm really proud to be a part of that film. Well, yeah, it, it is a fantastic piece of art. And, um, you know, what I, I understand that the, the director of it, Zach Parrish, he developed an emotional map for the film. Um, and it, that was kind of a mechanism for you to channel that energy in how you develop the score. Um, I'm wondering in what ways that that visual element guided your composition. It was so unique. Honestly, it's, it was really helpful because again, when, when I first started, there was nothing to really write to, you know, in terms of timing and, um, and there were just some like raw sketch ideas and things, but nothing really um, super specific. So he basically made this diagram for me, which almost looked like a cardiogram with lines, like energy going up and it was color coded with like art and dots theme or like, you know, it was, it was, it was actually super cool. I had never seen anything like it before and I haven't seen it after. So that was a very unique way of explaining emotion because, you know, that's, that's always the toughest thing trying to figure out how, how do we explain emotional arc without, you know, because words mean different things to different people. Um, just that seeing that diagram actually really, really helped me. Yeah, it's and and I feel like you know it's there's so much packed into a, a Disney animated short like this. You know, maybe six minutes long, and you feel like you you're taking a journey, and that's reflected very um, saliently in the score. One, one element I liked, and I'm not sure, I, mean, I loved so many elements, but one that I especially liked was your use of electronic music. And it, in my perspective, it sounded like that there was almost maybe like an 80s influence to it, um, particularly the scene when Art is longing for his past. Was that maybe, an, was that, this isn't meant to be a leading question, but was that inspired by just the, the era in which he grew up in, in terms of how you incorporated some electronic music? Yes, I mean, we would try to really channel uh, that sort of um, the soul and funk and, you know, uh, we, we definitely wanted to give a sense of this would be the music that, that they would have listened to when they, they were younger, but also timeless at the same time, uh, if that makes sense. So uh, sure. there are a few homages that, that, uh, that we paid for sure. Very cool. Well, uh, I know you're definitely very busy and one of your uh, newest projects actually debuts in, in theaters very shortly, The Lost City uh, with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. Um, what can folks expect from that score? Oh, I had so much fun writing that score. Um, it's uh, I actually wrote the, the the themes and everything before I uh, before they shot the film. That's a little trivia information. Um, I wrote the first theme after the main theme after my 
first meeting with the directors. They're they're so wonderful and their knowledge of film music and how they see film music. It's just um, it made me so happy because they have this this love and appreciation for all the things that made me fall in love with film music. So um, without giving too much away, there's a, there's a very kind of a classical approach in the way that we we um, we we approach this this score. Uh, it's uh, there are a lot of moments where you know there's hats off to certain uh, scores um, and just general vibe. Um, and of course, there's a lot of funny, super funny moments. It's just a really fantastic ride. And um, I mean, it, it still makes me laugh. It makes me feel so many things. It's so unique because there are not many films where you get to to laugh and really just ha have fun. It's, 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 it's silly, goofy. And then it just touches your heart when um you don't expect it and it's uh it's so powerful it's a really beautifully done film that is really entertaining also but uh, like i said it has so much depth to it so i i hope the, the music reflects that as well well and even just watching the trailer gives off vibes of even like a romancing the stone that famous right. michael douglas film and right. I, I imagine some of those films of the of the 80s may have uh played a role in both the visual product but i'm I'd be curious if, if that may influence the, the score product as well. You'll find out soon. <laughs> That's a great tease, Pinar. Well, I will. <laughs> I'll be <laughs> eagerly listening. Um, would you be able to share any other uh, projects or that are on the horizon for you? I certainly know that you're you're always uh, busy composing um, for a number of different products uh, and, and shows, but uh, what can folks expect from you? Um, quite a bit, actually. I feel very fortunate uh, in terms of um, films coming out this year. I can mention um, uh, Slumberland, uh, starring Jason Momoa, directed by Francis Lawrence. I'm not sure exactly when it's coming out, but uh, I have. It might be. I think this year <laughs> sometime. Um, and then. Um, also a Jennifer Lopez film called Shotgun Wedding with uh, Josh Duhamel and Lenny Kravitz uh, that's coming out in the summer as well. In addition to that, there um, I'm, I've just began work on season three of Stargirl TV show. And there's some theme park things and some other fun, exciting projects that I can't mention yet. But um, it's, a, it's a full life, that's for sure. I'm very, very blessed. That's wonderful. Well, it seems like you're tapping into a, a variety of genres as well, which probably, uh, you know, allows your your versatile skill sets to to really surface. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, and I I, I know you can't talk about um, certain certain projects on the horizon, but I'll I'll tell you, I I certainly enjoyed um, the D twenty three Expo a few years ago when you were. Um, with you having a presence there and, and what the future uh, might look like on the Disney theme park front. So. Um, oh, yes. Yes. Thank you. That was one of the most amazing experiences of my life that D23 and unveiling the, the Epcot uh, theme. Um, that's very special to me. Yeah. Well, I couldn't be more excited for what's to come on, on that. So thank oh. you. Thank you. We'll want to hear more. Um, I'd love to conclude with some final uh, questions that are uh, just Disney opinion related questions. Is that all right? Sure. Well, I always ask guests a few music related questions. Was there a Disney soundtrack that you listened to most while growing up? Oh, um, hmm. uh, 
pretty much everything. I was a huge Disney fan. So um, let's see. I was really obsessed with Little Mermaid. That's for sure. <laughs> there was a, um, I was, I mean, there, there, there just, there's so many of them, honestly. Disney has a very special place in my heart. So all of those projects and they have some of the, my most favorite songs and themes ever written. So I'd say everything. I have a playlist with all the Disney stuff that I listen to and they all bring me back to a different time of my life and different memories and um, yeah, kind of everything. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Little Mermaid. Could I ask you, though, given that you grew up with Disney music, how it feels to essentially now be part of the Disney musical family yourself? Oh, it's an incredible feeling. Honestly, um, for example, the the Epcot theme, um, when I was 17 years old, when I first moved to the U.S., uh, my brother surprised me with a trip to Disney World. I had not traveled anywhere before that you know basically i came from istanbul to the us and then um then we went on this trip so i remember the feeling i had at epcot and i remembered that theme park more than the other ones for some reason if you ask me what my experience was in the other ones of course i remembered them but i had this emotional kind of this really touching experience at, at epcot that I kind of felt like I was traveling everywhere in the world and anything was possible. And, um, and so when I had an opportunity to initially demo for the Epcot theme, I was like, Oh my God, that, that nothing is good enough for Epcot. You know, how can I write something? That, um, and then I just kind of stopped overthinking and I just went back to the feeling I had when I was a 17 year old feeling that just overwhelming joy and just connection to this place and um and that's what i tried to capture and that that d23 that we mentioned it was surreal i don't really have um, another word for it to, to this date it's really surreal to give to be a part of that legacy in that way uh it's very humbling and just um just extraordinary in every way i could imagine well i remember it just being very grand and having a worldly flair and really speaking to that promise and potential that Epcot really embodies. So yeah. it's just really cool that you're, you're an essential part of that. Uh, next question. What Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Oof. Um, they're all kind of all, all in my head all the time. And I have two kids. So a lot of songs are just kind of on, on loop. Um, I don't know. I can't, I can't pinpoint one. Yeah, there are many that have that effect. Um, yeah. Would you say there's a Disney film that you feel has the most underrated music? Maybe just yeah. doesn't get the love that it deserves. Uh, I don't know who who helped me out here. Who which one do people usually say it? Maybe I'll agree with them. Oh, um, a popular answer for this one is the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, I would agree with that. I would actually agree with that. That's true. I would have, yeah. And which, what else? I'm curious. Hercules, I've heard right. many a time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. of the, yeah, basically the the non Deity and the Beasts and Little Mermaids, even though they're absolutely fantastic uh, as well. I was obsessed with and <laughs> the songs and Beauty Beasts. I think maybe they they would they're always in my head. It's that's the the power of those those songs and those themes. You know, it's like. 
after decades, you're still like embedded, embedded in my brain. Oh, for sure. Um, and then finally, uh, a random question. So I mix this up with every guest and your question, Pinar, is what Marvel character do you, fe- do you most resonate with and why? Ooh, resonate with, that's a different one. I don't know. Maybe, um, or I wish I could be, I could uh, maybe pivot into that. Sure. Go for it. Um, Iron Man. <laughs> I wish I could be Iron Man. Yeah. You want all of the tech, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that just fascinates me. His mind and his wit and just his general swagger about life and everything. That's 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 pretty cool. <laughs> there you go. Good answer. Um, let's wrap up. Uh, how can listeners follow your work? I know you mentioned Stargirl. Uh, briefly and certainly the lost city as well how can folks follow your work as well as follow you on any social media platforms that you're on um yeah probably instagram uh that that gets updated um most often i believe uh it's a pinar topra composer and um yeah i would say that might be the most accessible one where latest things get posted on there so great Well, Pinar, it's been a wonderful privilege to talk with you, and I am very excited about uh, just all of your products, and particularly uh, what's to come with Epcot and more. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Red. And thank you again to Pinar for joining me on Notably Disney. I invite you to listen to some of her great soundtracks, including Captain Marvel, of course. And we can expect a lot more from her over the coming year, as you heard about some of those forthcoming projects, including The Lost City, which debuts in theaters on March 25th. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at Reports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N Reports and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company. 